So my name is Christina Musold. I'm a fellow here at the philosophy department and I'm also the deputy director of the Forum for European Philosophy. And in my research, I'm interested in the problem of self-consciousness. So by self-consciousness, I mean our ability to think about ourselves, um, which we usually then express with the first person pronoun, right? So I might say, I have a certain thought, I have a certain desire, I'm in pain, um, I'm happy and so on. So this kind of ability to think about ourselves. And I think it's uh, important to understand this because it's really at the root of many things that we take to be specifically human and that we also value in being human beings. So our ability to reflect on ourselves, to evaluate our own actions in moral terms, to think about the kind of persons that we want to be or the kind of lives that we want to lead. So self-consciousness, the ability to think about ourselves, is really at the root of many of these things. And um, it's, it's in a way puzzling or has puzzled m many philosophers for a long time because it seems to express a very special kind of knowledge that's different from the kind of knowledge we have about other things. So um, we sometimes put this by saying that we have this first-person perspective as opposed to the third-person perspective. What that means is that um, when you think about yourself, you, have, you seem to have a really um, direct, immediate access to your own mental or bodily states. Right? So for example, when I'm in pain, when I have a headache, I know that immediately. I have the pain and that is all it takes to know that I'm in pain. Right? I don't have to identify myself, observe myself, ask myself questions. On the other hand, I can of course know that you have a headache, but I know this in a very different way. Right? I observe your facial expression or you tell me that you have a headache. Um, and so this sort of first person knowledge seems to be very different from the kind of knowledge that I have about others. Um, now, I think partly because of this asymmetry, there's a kind of a tradition in philosophy, sort of going back to Descartes, where the idea is that really to, um, to understand yourself, to gain knowledge about yourself, what you do is you reflect on yourself in isolation. And um, that then, um, you know, brings you to your true being, your true essence. And according to Descartes, um, of course, that is um, a very different being or very different essence from the material beings, right? So he says the self is some special substance that's different from your bodily um, being. That's an essentially thinking thing, really, and the body isn't really part of that. And this view, I think, is problematic for various reasons. For one thing, I think it's just not true that when we use the first-person pronoun, when we, say, when we say I have pain or I have a certain thought, we refer to some sort of mysterious inner substance. I think we refer to ourselves as the kind of beings you know, in, in flesh and blood that we are sitting here in front of you. Um, and also it raises questions about um, other minds. So we have this philosophical problem then of, of how do we know that other minds actually exist, that other people have mental states. And this is brought out nicely by Wittgenstein's um, example of the beetle in the box, where he says, look, imagine we all have a little wooden box and we only ever allowed to look into our own box. Right? Like, just like we only ever have access to our own mind, not to the minds of others. Um, and then we all say we have a beetle in the box, we all say we have pain. How do we know that we actually do? Right? How do I know that you really have a beetle in your box or that you, you know, your beetle looks anything remotely similar to mine? Um, so that's then a problem. So I think a better way of thinking about self-consciousness is actually taking into account that we are inherently social beings and that's uh, an idea that also has a philosophical tradition, of course, um, and so, f 
So the idea here is that we really only become aware of ourselves as these sort of separate entities in the world with, this, with specific characteristics, with specific thoughts, specific desires and so on, by really distinguishing ourselves from other subjects and um, by uh, you know, contrasting ourselves with other subjects um, or adopting the perspective of someone else on us. So um, the Sartre, for instance, has this nice example where he says, imagine you're immersed in some activity like spying through a keyhole and then you hear footsteps in the hall. Someone else is approaching. And it's really at that moment that you really become aware of what you're doing, right? Because you're thinking, that person is going to see what I'm doing and, and sort of judge me. And you have this feeling of shame, perhaps, about what you're doing. So you become really self-aware only in this interaction with others. So that's the idea here. And I think there's something right about that. There's also, I think, a lot of interesting research in the empirical sciences and um, developmental psychology, for instance, that shows that human beings really are very social, are tuned to others um, immediately from birth. For example, babies begin to um, imitate facial expressions immediately, are very tuned to their caretakers uh, from very early on. There's also research in the neurosciences that shows that we have neurons in the brain, which are called mirror neurons, that fire, for example, both when an action is when we perform an action and when we see someone else perform that same action. Um, but nonetheless, I think this process of um, really understanding others and understanding ourselves, this self-other differentiation, which I think is sort of can only be understood um, when we look at the two together, is a process that requires development, that requires learning. Um, so, for example, when you think of the child who plays hide-and-seek by, you know, just putting their hands in front of their face because they think, well, they can't see you, so you can't see them either. You know, that child doesn't really have an understanding yet of other perspectives, of the fact that other people can have, you know, perceptions that might be very different from their own. And so this, so what I'm interested in is really in trying to understand what happens in this process of coming to understand that? Because it's only really one, when we understand that someone else can have a very different perspective on the world from ours, that we, that we really become aware of our perspective as such, as our own perspective that's different from ours.